You may be seated. So I don't mean to brag, but there is something I happen to be really, really good at. I'm really good at not being wrong. You can ask Ardell. No matter how at fault I might seem to be in a situation, there's always a fuller explanation, mitigating circumstances, another perspective from which the case for my innocence is entirely convincing, at least it is to me. Anybody else out there just really, really gifted at not being wrong? The only person I know who might be even better at this was my friend since childhood. His name's Stephen Rubel. After college, Jeff, um, Steve and Jeff Anglin, another friend of ours, shared an apartment in Fayetteville. Jeff had a nice road bike that he would let Steve borrow sometimes. And Steve would take it out and remove the front wheel, throw it in the back of the beautiful blue Toyota Celica hatchback we all envied so much, and he'd drive to the path where he liked to ride it. Now... If you haven't been into bicycles since maybe you were seven or so, you might not know about quick-release hubs. A decent bike will have a little lever on the wheel which can be flipped up so it can be loosened and removed from the fork without any tools. This detail is relevant to the story because Steve would often come back from his ride, remove the bike from the car, and just slip the wheel back onto the fork without tightening it down in order to roll it up to the, to the apartment. Well... One day, Jeff decided to ride his own bike straight from the apartment. And when he came to the train tracks nearby, he did what, it's, what cyclists instinctively do. He slowed down just a little bit and pulled up on the handlebars to soften that bump. And when he did, he watched his front wheel leave the bike and roll across the tracks and down the street without him. Yeah. Jeff fared only slightly better than his bike in this spectacular crash somehow breaking no bones, but the road rash and bruises were pretty impressive. And a few days later, when Jeff told me the story of what had happened, Steve was standing there and he said, well, if you'd checked the wheel before you rode, none of this would have happened. It was then I realized I was in the presence of a true master of self-justification. The statement is unassailably true. It will tell you something about Jeff's mellow disposition to hear that he did not respond by pounding Steve until he looked like he'd gone face first into a train track. Jeff's easy smile just spread across his scuffed up face as if to say, well, what can you say? Anybody else out there really good at not being wrong? Anybody else really good at justification? Justification, that's... That's a big old religious word, isn't it? It's been a big word in Christian theology, at least since St. Saint, since Saint Paul. It's actually a central theme of the Bible right from the earliest moments of Genesis. How are sinful, imperfect, fallen human beings to be justified before God, if we can be? But like so many other big religious words, we tend to let them run around only with other religious words, don't we? As if our minds were made up of little dog parks where like gets to play with like. So even if we, don't, if we use a word like justify or grace or faith with regard to our everyday dealings with other people, it's as if it's just a curious coincidence that there are words that look and sound just like these that we use in church and apply to our dealings with God. 
But what if we've gotten this wrong? For instance, have you ever wondered whether justification by grace through faith might actually have something to do with all the ways we justify ourselves to one another? Maybe even the way we justify our lives to ourselves? Listen, said the older son, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you've never given me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, came back, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Ah, yes. The parable of the responsible son. Do you remember it? Now, I happen to be an eldest child, and clearly Jesus had reviewed the latest birth order research before he composed this parable. We first one, firstborn ones do seem to have a tendency to be extra responsible and diligent, as if the need to prove our worth is a little more intense than it is to those younger siblings whom our parents were so much easier on. Am I right? The ones they'd spoil to the point of letting them gallivant around with pigs and prostitutes, but they wouldn't even let us eat pork rinds when we were little. <laughs> and our dating life was monitored more closely than the crown jewels. Some years ago, I actually read an article that said elite universities were actually considering quotas on firstborn children because their hyper-responsible habits got them bizarrely overrepresented in the classes they admitted. Quotas in colleges. So that's why I didn't get into Stanford. <laughs> not that we're resentful. Or rather, not that we're resentful for anything but the soundest of reasons. After all, we've been carefully justifying ourselves our whole lives. And then, all of a sudden, somebody up and changes the criteria for goodness and acceptance. How fair is that? I hope you can appreciate our frustration before you too accept the cheap grace of the open-armed father in Jesus' annoying little story. Unless this very frustration, unless this all-too-familiar resentment is precisely what learning that I am justified because of who God is, not because of what I've done, is meant to heal. In the parable, I think it's telling that the father disputes nothing in the older son's case. Not really. Saying everything I have is yours is not the same thing as saying I've thrown apart the best party money can buy just for you. The father disputes nothing in the older son's careful justification of his own worthiness. Not the hard work, not the perfect obedience, not even the lack of a goat party for his friends. The father disputes none of it. It just breaks this father's heart that his very own child thinks he has to justify himself at all. It breaks the father's heart that, that his son thinks his joy and his affection are things to be earned and that all the son's efforts at goodness over these years had been a kind of performance to do just that. Well, the older son in each of us may need to feel the father's sadness at a child who thinks his acceptance is conditional. We may need to feel this sadness if we're to be changed by the parable of the responsible son. Because what we're probably used to feeling toward that older son 
is something more like judgment than compassion, is it not? But his resentments, his self-justification, are no less worthy of our compassion, I think. His brother can't believe he could be worthy of this father's unconditional embrace as he sits in the filth with pigs. But the older brother's habits of mind keep him just as distant and sealed off from the true affection of the father. And they will only be healed if he can learn to trust that the father's love depends completely on who the father is, not on either son's moral performance. You know, maybe the healing needed by both sons is essentially one and the same. Each week at this table, we remember and we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. We participate in it and receive its grace in the sacrament of his body and his blood, saying that the justification of our sins somehow depends on this mystery. This truth can seem way too eternal and abstract to make too much difference in my life today at times. But the older son in me is coming to see that every time I justify myself to you, to the world, even to God, I deny that the wide open arms on the cross are what my ultimate justification depends on, nothing else. Which is tragic. Not because God is offended at my bad manners or my ingratitude, but because to live in a universe in which we are justified by what we do for ourselves is nothing like living in one in which we are justified because it is simply the nature of God's arms to be open. Does it not make great sense then how faith, how belief, how trust in the mercy of such a God could heal and maybe even save your soul right now?